Happy New Year, everyone. My name is Mandy. I'm on staff here at Reality Church Boston, and I have the honor of teaching God's Word on some Sundays. So today we'll be doing something slightly different than usual because it is winter in Boston, which means that a snowstorm is coming our way and we are not able to gather in person this Sunday. However, we still want to start this new year by intentionally orienting ourselves toward God as a community. So on Sunday morning, we'll be meeting via Zoom and going through a guided practice of reflection and prayer. So in conjunction with that, I've adapted the sermon I was going to preach so that it's shaped a little bit more like a guided devotion with reflection questions. So today, the passage I'll be reflecting on is Mark chapter 1, and we'll be doing this in three parts. Each part will have a theme, an invitation, and a reflection question for you to ponder and to pray over. And hopefully, listening to this via podcast will actually be helpful, since you'll be able to pause the recording and journal, pray, or even discuss these questions within your community before moving on to the next section. So before we get started, let me just open us now in a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you uh, for technology, for the ability to gather via Zoom um, in spite of the weather, for the ability to enter into this year with these intentional spiritual practices. And Lord, we just ask that you would help us to begin this new year by really orienting ourselves towards you. You are our God. You are faithful. You are patient. You are full of goodness and beauty and justice and truth. And Lord God, we ask that we would just be able to open our eyes to see more of you in this coming year. We ask that you would help us to set aside the space to do the work, to deal with the things of the past, to not be afraid of them, but to really surrender them to you and ask you to move and to work and to shape us as we enter into this new beginning. And we ask this new beginning, this new year would be full of your blessing, God, that we would get to know you more intimately that we would develop the resilience and the strength and the courage to press into the things you're calling us to, God. And we even pray that these intentional practices, this time of reflection on your word, that these reflection questions, that the spaces that we set aside to pray and to discern, that you would bless those and that you would use those to move us forward into the places you're calling us into. So God, thank you so much for the truth and the um, life that we find in your word. And I just pray that you would bless my words this morning as we take this time to reflect together. We pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let us start by reading Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The Gospel of Mark begins like this. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare the way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
All right, this is the word of the Lord. So as I was reading through the gospels last month and actively asking God for the word he wanted to speak to our church in the new year, this passage stood out to me and it sparked kind of this curiosity in me. So when people compare the four gospels, Mark is always described as the action-packed one. It kind of cuts to the chase and moves at hyper speed and taking us through the miracles and the major events of Jesus's life. And yet, Mark still takes the time to detail the ministry of John the Baptist. I found that really interesting. Why not start with Jesus's ministry? Just dive right into his preaching or the first healings he performs or tell the story of the first disciples he calls. In spite of all the details that Mark just skips right over, he still views it as necessary that his readers hear that voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So I began to wonder what is significant about this act of preparation. John the Baptist is calling people to prepare for the messianic era, for God's salvation to come here and now through Jesus. But what does it look like to prepare? Now, this passage in Mark chapter 1 primarily references Isaiah 40, verse 3, which calls God's people to prepare the way and to make his path straight. So those two Hebrew words used here are panah and yashar. And in context, they mean to put out of the way or to make clear from obstacles and to make smooth or straight or free from obstacles. So these words are actually very similar. It's as if John the Baptist is saying that before this new era of God's redemptive work begins, God first desires to clear away the clutter from our hearts, to sweep our lives clean of the debris and to make room for what he intends to do. It's like weeding a garden to prepare for the seeds you will sow or cleaning out a closet to prepare for a new season. So as we enter the new year, how might this look in our lives? What does it look like to create the conditions for God to meet with us and to lead us forward? Now, during my study on the Gospel of Mark, I learned that each half of this gospel has this kind of lengthy anchor parable that actually summarizes the purpose of that section of the book. So in the first half of Mark's gospel, the anchor parable depicts Jesus as a sower who casts seed across a variety of soils and watches for their growth or their response. And this may be a familiar parable, and you might recall that it ends with a description of the good soil. The seeds that fall on the good soil yield an incredible harvest. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, it says. And I think this metaphor is helpful for us as we think through how to prepare for the new year. In Jesus' parable, good soil refers to the hearts of people who hear the word of God and accept it. So a key question we can ask ourselves is, what does it look like to foster good soil in our lives? Again, what are the conditions that clear a path for the Lord? So today, I'm going to suggest three kind of spiritually formative steps we can take as we enter this year, but really they all boil down to one thing, and that is cultivating a heart of worship. Even beyond the resolutions and the checklists, what we need to live a transformed life, a worshipful life, 
is to be deeply rooted in Jesus and to live out of a place of worship. So here are the three themes that I felt compelled to share today. And to make them memorable, I kind of did them in the form of a mnemonic. So they are to look back, to look up, and to look forward. Look back is an invitation to repentance. Because before you can move forward, you first have to address the past. Look up is an invitation to praise. Because responding to God's goodness changes what we see. And look forward is an invitation to obedience. Because worship is active. To worship is to move toward God and toward the things of God. So first we'll start with look back. Now, why do we start by looking back? It turns out this is actually a key part of preparation. And I think we see this in Mark chapter one. This passage paints a really fascinating picture. The language here makes it seem like people were just going out in droves to see this guy, John, who looked kind of insane with his camel's hair outfit, which apparently was very in among Old Testament prophets. So I just imagine this kind of grizzled man with flyaway hair standing waist deep in a river and essentially playing the role of priest. All these strangers were coming to him and confessing their sins and being plunged under the waters in front of a watching crowd. Now, to me, that seems incredibly vulnerable to come forward and acknowledge your brokenness in public. And it makes me think that something really powerful must have drawn people in. And I think there is something inside of us as humans that craves this, this idea of a fresh start. You can feel that kind of energy at the start of the new year, this sparkle of hope that maybe things can be different from this moment forward, that maybe you can leave the past behind, the mistakes you made, the disappointments, the ways in which you didn't live up to the person you wanted to be, the weeds in your life that you have been hoping to uproot and discard, but it feels like you're still just digging and digging. More likely than not, there are some things that you would love to lock in a vault labeled 2023 and never have to look at again. New year, new you. But here's a realistic question for us. Can we truly leave the past behind? I think that depends on what we mean by that. If we're hoping for like a magic eraser that eliminates every trace of the past year or like an elixir that grants us selective amnesia, that is probably not on the docket. But here's what I think is available for us as followers of Jesus. An invitation to surrender the things of the past to God and to let him reshape them. We might metaphorically consider this a baptism. as what John the Baptist is inviting people to. Come to the waters, confess your sins, Cast your cares and your burdens upon the God who loves you and be set free. Now that is the kind of promise that would call me into the Jordan River. That is what our souls are craving. Freedom, healing, peace. And this is the first step in preparing the way of the Lord and making the path straight in our lives. In order to enter into a posture of worship, we need to give God free reign over our past. We need to invite him in to forgive, to heal, and to transform. 
Now, I found this quote by author Justin McRoberts that says, it is at times confounding that the Christian notion of resurrection does not mean erasing the past. Instead, newness reframes and redefines what was. When I read this, I think of Paul the Apostle. Before Paul's conversion, he literally persecuted and approved the murder of Christians until he had a radical encounter with Jesus. This encounter with the living God changed Paul forever, but it didn't erase his past. It redeemed it. Once Paul's life, including his past, was surrendered to God, God began to reshape it, to transform the darkness and brokenness into something that instead brought forth light and life. And in the book of Galatians, Paul openly confesses his failures. He says, you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. But then he recounts how Jesus called me by his grace and so transformed Paul that he became unrecognizable as the man who once harbored murder in his heart. Instead, this became Paul's reputation among the Christian churches. They called him, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of him, Paul says. This is the kind of unexpected, 180 degree transformation that only God can bring about in our lives. Now, earlier, I alluded to the metaphor of weeding a garden, which I think is a good one to describe what it's like for God to heal and change us. Weeds can take a long time to dig up. Their roots can be gnarly and intertwined with other things that you're trying not to dig up. And so it takes time and a lot of hard work to clear them out and to get to the point where your garden can flourish. Well, sometimes when I think of God as the gardener, laboring patiently to bring about health and healing in us, I'm like, oh, that's pleasant. And I forget that in this metaphor, I'm the garden. <laughs> that for me, de-weeding is like painfully digging things up that feel deeply rooted in my very being and discarding them. It can mean periods of like constant tumult and being shaken up, interspersed with periods of rest. So it's not necessarily a pleasant experience for us until we start to see the beauty, until the weeds disappear one by one and there is more room to breathe and our vision of what God is doing magnifies. We see the fruits, we see the flourishing and we finally arrive at this feeling of just, wow, I didn't know that life could be like this. And remember we said earlier that preparing the way for God means clearing the obstacles from our lives. Repentance involves letting go of old things in order to make room for the things of God. So moving towards God means moving away from whatever isn't from God. And somewhere paradoxically, we have to start the new year by looking back. So let's start by asking God to show us what it is that we need to let go of. What needs to go under the water and be released? Confess your sins and your burdens to God, trusting him to transform, or if you will, to baptize the things of the past and resurrect them into things that bring him glory. So in just a moment, I'll invite you to pause this recording so you can reflect on the first question. 
You might even want to set a timer for five or 10 minutes so you can journal or pray through your response. Here's the first question. What is God inviting me to release from last year? What is God inviting me to release from last year? Now our next theme is look up. This reminds us that repentance has a twofold significance. It means turning away from sin and brokenness, but it's not just about what we're turning away from. It's also about who we're turning toward. When I imagine the scene with John the Baptist receiving people in the Jordan River, I imagine that many of them are compelled by that desire for a fresh start to be made clean. But an equally magnetic force is the invitation to draw near to a God who loves us. In the book of Romans, Paul writes that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So as we submit to this process of letting go, of being washed clean, this is a preparation to enter into worship, to discover the reality of God's goodness and grace through receiving his forgiveness and healing. And an interesting fact is that before Jesus's time, a form of baptism already existed among certain Jewish sects, and it was for the purpose of ritual purity. In other words, before you could go worship, you would immerse yourself for spiritual purity so you could enter into the presence of God. Now, while the act of washing cannot actually make us pure, it does symbolically point us to something true. As Christians, preparing the way of the Lord and clearing away obstacles is for the purpose of drawing closer to God and being able to see God more clearly. So I'll share a kind of confession from my life in an effort to practice what I preach. So over the past few years, I've discovered certain unhelpful patterns in my life. And one of them is this tendency to focus on what's missing, what I don't have or what isn't as good as I think it should be. And one of my big realizations was that I often use this sense of dissatisfaction to motivate myself to push myself towards personal growth, towards goals, towards new horizons and adventures. And so it was hard to realize at first all the shortcomings, the kind of Achilles heel that came with this. Now, in some ways, dissatisfaction is understandable. C.S. Lewis named it as a kind of desire that nothing in this world can satisfy. And the reason we feel that is because we were made for another world. So a world where sin still exists and where we do not yet experience full unity with God, that world is always going to be somewhat dissatisfying. On the other hand, what we look for often determines what we see. And if we only look at what's missing or what's broken or how we failed or what our personal limitations are, we may not even notice what God has provided, what God is healing, how God met us in our weakness, and where God is calling us to rely on his strength now. So in my own walk with God, my realization was that, yes, I needed to be honest about where I was struggling, but I also needed to be proactive about integrating rhythms of praise and gratitude into my life. Sometimes I default to thinking that praise is insincere unless I feel grateful, as if the emotion always has to come first. But I've discovered that it's this intriguing spiritual reality that praise actually has the power to shape us. Responding to God's goodness changes what we see. And there is a humility and a wisdom in realizing that our, our emotions and experiences 
do not define all of reality. God is always doing more behind the scenes than we can possibly realize, and the act of praise connects us to that reality. It helps to anchor us in fundamental truths, like the fact that God is good and loving and faithful and just and eternally wise. Praise reminds us of all the reasons we have to believe those things are true, even if our current circumstances are making that hard to see. A few years ago, a friend gave me a copy of the devotional, Jesus Calling. If you're unfamiliar with it, the author writes each devotion as if Jesus is the one speaking the words to you. And that phrasing kind of helps us to connect those words to God's heart for us. So this is a passage that I read uh, around the week of Thanksgiving that I think beautifully captures the power of praise. It says, let thankfulness rule in your heart as you thank me, meaning Jesus, for blessings in your life, a marvelous thing happens. It's as if scales fall off your eyes, enabling you to see more and more of my glorious riches. Each time you receive one of my golden gifts, let your thankfulness sing out praises to my name. Hallelujahs are the language of heaven, and they can become the language of your heart. A life of praise and thankfulness becomes a life filled with miracles. Instead of trying to be in control, you focus on me and what I am doing. This is the power of praise, centering your entire being in me. Enjoy abundant life by overflowing with praise and thankfulness. I especially love the invitation to let praise become the language of your heart. I just imagine that moment when you come up from the baptismal waters and feel the lightness of God's presence surrounding you. When we rise up from the water, that is meant to symbolize a new reality that is not defined by past brokenness, but by God's abundant grace. So ask yourself, where has your life been touched by God's grace? Again, I'll invite you now to repause this recording so you can take several minutes to just praise God for who he is and what he has done in your life. So here's the second reflection question. Where did I experience God's goodness last year? Where did I experience God's goodness last year? So our last theme is to look forward because to worship is to move toward the things of God. And this last point will be a bit shorter, partly because the next sermon series we're embarking on will be all about looking forward and moving into the calling that God has placed on your life, whether that's for this season or a theme throughout your life. So for now, I'd like to focus on making the decision to move forward, of committing ourselves to following God in the new year. Have you ever noticed that many of the words we use to describe our life with Jesus or the path of discipleship are action verbs? Seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. Walk with God. Pursue love. There's an element of faith that involves other things like receiving, abiding, and resting. Those actions that rely on the invitation of God and his work. So it's clear that it's not all up to our efforts. The life of gift is primarily a gift. Sorry, the life of faith, I meant to say, is primarily a gift 
we receive. But I would offer this for your consideration, that worship involves movement. To worship is to draw nearer to God and toward the things that God cares about. Tim Keller puts it like this, worship is obedient action motivated by the beauty of who God is in himself. In the Gospels, Jesus repeatedly says to his disciples that to love him is to keep his words, to follow his commands. Knowledge of Jesus, understanding of his character and his mission spurs us to action. In other words, faith moves. I think back to last summer in our sermon series on the one another verses in scripture. In verse after verse, we discovered the call to serve one another, encourage one another, forgive one another, care for one another. And each one of these calls us to put our faith into action. The best way to learn how to love one another is to take a step, even if it's a small one, in that direction. The book of James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. This image is evocative. When we hear the word of God, it reveals who we are. We are children of God made in his image. We are also fallen because of sin, but we have been offered a new life and invited to become a new creation through Jesus's redemptive work. The gospel gives us a new identity, a call to walk with Jesus and to reflect who he is to the world. And James is saying that if we discover all this to be true and do nothing with it, it's as if we've forgotten who we are. We've become like instant amnesiacs who do not live as if Jesus is who he says he is. So as followers of Jesus, we are called to live into rhythms of repentance and praise. And as we do this, we nurture the right conditions, the fertile soil for living a worshipful, God-centered life. So my question now is what comes next? To return to the baptismal metaphor, when we come up out of the water, where do we go from there? This is a big question that I don't expect all of us will be able to fully answer today, but it is very much worth asking. What is the next step God is inviting you to take in order to seek him? Now, even if you have, haven't kind of concretely defined that step, even if that's hard to put into specific words, just consider what God may be calling you toward. Maybe he is calling you to repentance or to forgiveness. Maybe he's calling you to pursue patience, to pursue joy, to engage more deeply in prayer, to engage more deeply in community. Chances are God has already planted the seed of what he intends to grow in your life. So ask him now, to give that seed a name and to show you the next step. So feel free to pause this recording in a moment and reflect on this question. What is the next step God is inviting me to take in order to seek him? What is the next step God is inviting me to take in order to seek him? To close, I want to read a quote from Ruthie Kim, who is an incredible preacher on the teaching team at Reality San Francisco and someone I've had the privilege to receive guidance from. 
So in the beginning of her kind of beginning of the year email, she writes this. At the end of every year, I have a tradition with my boys. I tuck them into bed, reminding them that when they wake, it will be a year of new beginnings. And then I get really honest. I tell them that the year ahead will have highs and lows. There will be joy and there will be difficulty. It's inevitable. In fact, what lies ahead may require more resilience and perseverance than anything they have faced yet. But if they root themselves deeply in God's truth, lean into his good character and trust him, knowing that he is always working and never ending in his love, then and only then will they possess the strength to live the bold and courageous life they are designed for. So I'd love to end our time together now by praying these same things over you. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of a new year. We thank you for the opportunity of new beginnings. And Lord, we ask us that you would give us the grace in this coming year to accept the highs and the lows, to embrace the joy and the difficulty. We ask, Lord God, that you would provide us with the resilience and the perseverance to face what comes. And Lord, we especially ask that you would help us to root ourselves deeply in your truth, to lean into your good character and to trust you, knowing that you are always working and that your love for us is never ending. Lord God, would you give us this coming year the strength to live the bold and courageous life that you have specifically designed for us. We thank you, God, for walking with us. We thank you for the invitation to repent and to release our sins and our burdens to you and to have you clean us and to reshape them into a life that is marked by your redemption. We thank you for the way that praise reshapes us and that there is always something that we can look to in you to thank you for God, your good character, your salvation, the ways that you've provided for us. And we ask you, God, to help us again to take that next step of courage, to live in obedience to your word. Would you speak to us, God, even as we take this time to reflect and to pray and to ask you these questions? Would you point us to that next step that you want us to take? And would it lead us deeper into intimacy and knowledge of you into the life again that you have designed for us to live? We love you, Lord. We thank you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.